water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop him. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. everyone, and welcome back to What's Appa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And this week, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Hero, who read the intro. This is episode 11 of our podcast, where we'll be discussing the storm. Um, but before we get started, we want to make a quick announcement that the unaired pilot of Avatar The Last Airbender, which they used to pitch the show to Nickelodeon, is now out on YouTube. If you look up the official Avatar The Last Airbender YouTube channel, um, they just posted it. So definitely go check it out. It's a really nice piece of Avatar history. So let's get into it. All right. So previously on Avatar, uh, we learned that Aang doesn't want to be the avatar and harbors some guilty feelings about not being there when the world needed him the most. And we also learned that Zuko has a scar from a certain someone and that Iroh warned him to remember the last time he dueled a master. Dun, dun, dun. So ominous for a very, very dark episode. So (laughs) it starts off with Aang's dream so Aang is flying on Appa and he turns to his left and Sokka is riding on his glider and then he turns to his right and Katara is riding on a giant Momo (laughs) (laughs) yeah I found this really funny because uh Sokka is on the glider implying that he's airbending um oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) brought me a little joy uh something else that struck me about this scene uh color grading jumping in again it's very yellow in the beginning so Mm -hmm. this is a pleasant dream for yeah. the avatar for the time being yeah uh, we'll, we'll soon become a wet dream but <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like um justin <laughs> what are you saying <laughs> okay i get it now then katara says we need you ang we need you and then he hears all these echoes of like we need you we need you and then there's this massive storm approaching um and then he turns to his left and right and katara and Sokka have disappeared and then gyatso is asked he appears also in front of all the clouds and asks why ang disappeared and then he's like i didn't mean to um and then yeah this is where the dream starts going south yeah, I thought it was really funny. The way Gyatso disappears, he kind of disappears like they do in the Avengers, where um, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like kind of the ashes disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty um, scary and like very surreal. Um, and then Aang falls into the water just like he did in real life. Uh, and the whole stuff, just chaos ensues. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they use that moment in his life here. I think they use it as a device to kind of um, show a lot of Aang's anxiety. Um, Yeah, and then so right before Aang wakes up, there's this flash of lightning and a silhouette um, of Ozai, actually, that comes in for a split second. Um, So some foreshadowing there. Obviously, Ozai plays a big part in this episode, but also lightning plays a big part in this episode. And it's cool Mm. to see that they threw that in right there at the beginning. So we'll talk about that more. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought that was cool. I didn't notice that until a second watch through when I read it about it online. But the Ozai date, like the Ozai appearance is very, very quick. Like if you blink, you miss it. Yeah. So then Katara asks Aang if he's okay. And she says that you've been having a lot of nightmares lately. Do you want to talk about it? And Aang says, that's okay. And then the next morning, Aang says, look at those clear skies, buddy. Should be some smooth flying. So yeah, coming off of his storm nightmare, he's pretty, he has this fear of storms because that's like kind of where all of his baggage comes from. Um, So he hopes it's going to be some smooth flying. Yeah, totally. And I, I like how the first shot of this scene right after they wake up is of the waves and of the clear sky. It just sets a scene for, you know, how that totally goes sour real quick, just like Aang's dream. There's so many like little parallel structures in this whole episode that are really cool. And they start out with this clear, clear ocean, clear skies to set the whole stage again. Yeah, definitely. And then Katara flips their food bag upside down and only crumbs fall out. And then uh, I thought another cute Momo moment was he goes for the crumbs and he starts like eating up the crumbs. And then Katara says, well, we'd better smoothly fly ourselves to a market because we're out of food. And then Sokka says, guys, wait, this is my dream. We shouldn't go to the market because in his dream, food eats people. Um, So yeah, Sokka's pretty funny um, in this episode. Uh, Despite how like serious of an episode it is, I think it has some really good humor moments um and then he said also momo could talk yeah and and he says uh to momo you said some very unkind things and this kind of comes back later in the third season in the nightmares and daydreams episode like right before ang goes to fight the fire nation the day of black sun he freaks out and there's that wacky episode where the craziest things happen and momo can talk and appa can talk and they have some little banter going on and and they both say some kind of mean things to each other yeah yeah i think like i feel like oppo was out of character in that episode but i feel like momo really has some sass to him like if he could talk like it would not be good for anyone like i don't even think (laughs) ang would be spared from momo's sassiness yeah so next um there's an interesting technique i think they use here to to bridge the two plots that are going on plot a which is ang's story and background and plot b which is how zuko got his scar in the last shot with Sokka, we see geese flying in the background and transitions very well into this scene where there's geese flying uh, behind Iroh. And yeah. it's just this small attention to detail, I think, that makes this episode so special. Mm-hmm. And we notice and see that the geese are actually flying south. But yeah, Iroh is standing on the ship and he inhales deeply and says, there's a storm coming, a big one. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little cheesy. I think this is a, a pretty, pretty common trope in TV. Or, you know, they go out to sea and it's very calm and there's always that one one person who is who is aware of the ways of the world who's like, there's a storm coming, but no one believes them. Very common thing, at least in Avatar. Uh, very cheesy plot lines, but they make it work somehow. Because cheesy things are cheesy and good for a reason. <laughs> this is why I love children's shows. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Ira suggests that they alter their course to avoid the storm, but Zuko says that's ridiculous. They need to continue to follow the Avatar, and it's a completely clear day. And Iroh asks Zuko to consider the safety of the crew. And Zuko says, the safety of the crew doesn't matter. And then a crew member overhears. He's walking by so closely, so Zuko is just dumb. And then Zuko says, he goes right up to him and he says, finding the avatar is far more important than any individual safety. Yeah. And then Iroh attempts to like help him out. And then Zuko totally rebuffs him. Zuko storms out. And then Iroh's like, 
oh, he didn't mean that. So, yeah, we, we see that throughout the show where, like, Zuko says some, like, blatantly, like, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally disregards the crew's safety, but Iroh believes in him and for good reason. Yeah. Yeah, so going into the next scene... And Joyce can kind of talk more to this, but I just thought it was really funny. It's this panning shot of the village that they're visiting. And there's a dock and a harbor where all these big ships are sitting. In the, and there's these uh, or piers, piers coming out where the ships are docked. And Appa is just like taking up so much space. He's like the size of two ships. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's a good catch, too. I feel like I missed some of these little details. Um, But yeah, so they're in this new village, village of the day. I've seen some people refer to uh, (laughs) just like all the villages they visit. I've seen someone refer to all the villages they visit as this online. But they're buying fruit from the stand. The guitar is scrutinizing one of the melons for ripeness. Um, But then they realize that they have no money and they have to leave. (laughs) Yeah, it was really funny. Uh, there's she has this interaction with the uh, watermelon seller. She's like swishing the watermelon. She's like, ah, you hear that swish? That means it's ripe. And I read on the wiki that uh, in China in the early 1900s, there was this technique that merchants would use. They would inject their watermelons with foul water to <laughs> to make them heavier um, oh, and no. sound more ripe, which is really disgusting. Yeah. But I do remember from my childhood, my mom would slap the watermelons. Like, you hear that? That's a ripe watermelon. You gotta slap the watermelons. Yeah. <laughs> like- That's the last thing. <laughs> Subscribe to our podcast if you have ever slapped a watermelon. <laughs> um, no, it's just like the only way. <laughs> Yeah, so when they realize that they don't have any more money, the shopkeeper takes their basket of fruit and kicks Sokka in the butt. And Sokka rubs his butt and he's like, out of food and out of money, now what are we supposed to do? (laughs) I just thought it was really funny because Sokka clearly knows they have no money, but he's like filling up this basket as if they were going to buy food. Like, um, what is he doing, man? (laughs) So then Katara says, you could get a job, smart guy. And I thought this was funny because first my first instinct was like why Sokka like and then I was like oh wait a second he's probably the only one old enough to work and then I thought wow the Avatar universe has child labor laws Katara and Aang (laughs) can't work Sokka's got to provide because he's the oldest and he's of age also wait this just felt a little weird to me because like how would Sokka get a job like they're traveling like across the entire world like how would that work yeah no it was really random I mean just like you know gig economy yeah, you know, drive yeah, some economy. Ubers. They were ahead of their time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then right when she says this perfectly, serendipitously, they overhear this old couple arguing. And the this woman says, there's going to be a terrible storm. And then the man disagrees. And, and then she says, oh, I can feel it in my joints, which is apparently true. And uh, the man says, well, it's your joints against my brain. Yeah, I think it's worth noting here. As we've seen in the episode with the pirates, there is a diverse group of people who wear different colors, but by and large, whenever we visit any nation, everyone is generally wearing the same color. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the first couple we see that are wearing different colors, which may, and she's wearing red, and he's wearing green like everyone else is in the village, which may imply that she is a Fire Nation national. She is a descendant of someone who is Hmm. of Fire Nation Uh, nationality. Um, Wow. So this may be one of the fringe colonies. And yeah, another thing uh, I would note is, and I learned this from my fifth grade math teacher. Apparently, if you have really bad joints and arthritis, you can actually tell if a storm is coming because the barometric pressure and lower ambient temperature actually makes your joints hurt a lot more. 
which uh so there's actually science behind it i've definitely heard that this is a thing but that's cool that uh, you know like you learned the science behind it so then the dialogue continues and the woman says then i hope your brain can find someone else to haul that fish because i ain't coming and then the man says he'll find a new fish hauler and pay him double Wow. And then Sokka volunteers immediately and he gets hired on the spot. So the next scene is Zuko's ship is approaching the storm and it's looking pretty gloomy, gloomy and doomy. And the lieutenant, his name is Lieutenant G, says, well, looks like your uncle was right about that storm after all. Yeah. And then Zuko comes back saying, you better learn some respect or I'll teach it to you. And yeah, obviously it shows that Zuko like has no respect for his crew. That is a great crew uh, or his uncle. And this comment, like you better learn respect or I'll teach it to you. It seems like this is what he kind of learned from his father who basically did the same thing. He's like, you better learn some respect or I'll teach it to you by blasting you in the face. Mm-hmm. So it seems that at this point in time, like this is what Zuko's worldview kind of looks like because of what his father did to him. Yeah. I was just really taken aback by this comment. It's just very, he's just, who does he think he is, you know? And he just like is such a spoiled brat and it's such a ridiculous thing to say. This is kind of his idea of what he should be as a person because this Mm -hmm. is what his father did. And so he feels like he's stepping into the shoes of his father by, by saying this, I guess. Yeah. Then the lieutenant says, what do you know about respect? And while he's saying this, I just thought it was so funny. Iroh's in the background gesturing with his hand to like not go there. Um, And then he just like, he just looks so distraught. And he's like, how do I stop this? And throughout this whole scene, background Iroh is just very funny. And it reminds me of the waterbending scroll where we see Iroh in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. making monkey mm-hmm. noises and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Ira was very funny in this episode, too. And then the lieutenant says, the way you talk to everyone around here, from your hardworking crew to your esteemed uncle, shows you know nothing about respect. You don't care about anyone but yourself. And then the uncle is, like, at this point, literally face palms. He just doesn't know, <laughs> like, what to do at this point. He knows this isn't going to go well. And, yeah, then the Zuko and lieutenant are about to fight, but then... Iroh gets in the way and he says, how about everyone has noodles and let's not fight. And then Zuko says, I don't need your help keeping order on my ship. And background Iroh, he looks very concerned and goes to put a hand on Zuko's shoulder and he just shrugs it off. And he actually looks very hopeful and kind of happy when he goes to try to comfort Zuko. Um, But then he looks really, really sad after he shrugs him off. And so, yeah, that, that part hit me, hit me a little bit. So then, back at the village, the storm is approaching now, and Aang says, Sokka, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And Sokka says, he's not going to back out just because of some bad weather. I just thought, like, aw, Sokka, like, wants to provide. But really, I think it's just one of those, like, like male ego things, like how middle school boys want to wear shorts in the wintertime. Like, that's kind Mm -hmm. of what I'm envisioning here. (laughs) Um, But then the woman says, yeah, you should listen to the boy with tattoos. And then the man was like, boy with tattoos? (laughs) Which is stupid. (laughs) How did he not notice that? But he's like, wow, wait a second. Those are airbender tattoos. More specifically, he says, well, I'll be a hog monkey's uncle. (laughs) Um, So here we see uh, the pivotal character, Hog Monkey, making his his comeback. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it is kind of strange how he's just realizing Aang is the Avatar. Um, But even more interesting to me, at least, is their vernacular. Uh, Both the wife and the husband say ain't a lot, which is Mm -hmm. a lot more casual conversation, like 
then even some of the adults that we see, for example, in the Winter Solstice Part 1, when they go to the village, they're greeted with a lot of veneration by the old people. And mm-hmm. these old people are just extremely casual with them. I think it, mm-hmm. it adds a lot of character. And it's like small things like that that make the show special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. I really like these characters. And then... The man says, well, don't be so smiley about it. The Avatar disappeared for 100 years. You turned your back on the world. And yeah, this just hit him right where it hurts. Getting right to the the stuff. And then Katara obviously defends him, saying he would never turn his back on anyone. And then the man sarcastically says, this is a great comment, then I guess I must have imagined the last 100 years of war and suffering. (laughs) So I know we've encountered people who have been annoyed by Aang's disappearance and skeptical and, you know, don't know if his intentions are in the right place. But I feel like this guy is definitely the, the most outright skeptical person and person who's just the most angry about his disappearance and isn't afraid to kind of tell it to him straight. Katara says, oh, it's not his fault he disappeared, right, Aang? And Aang at this point is backing away and he looks really, he looks really ashamed and he flies away. So at this point, it's raining really hard and Katara finds Aang in this cave and Aang apologizes for running away. Yeah, also I noticed Aang left without Appa, which is pretty surprising. He never goes anywhere without Appa and you know, when he ran away the first time in his flashback, it was with Appa. So it must have been like really bad. They just needed to get out of there. It, it just felt a little strange that like mm-hmm. Katara came on Appa looking for him. He wasn't already with Appa. Appa's chilling on the dock. He's having a, having a ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when Katara finds Aang, he's in the cave. And I think it's interesting because up until this point, they're out in the village. It's very sunny. You know, everything looks very normal. But when they get in the cave, everything in the background is very dark, bleak. It's very purple. And I think it's kind of symbolizing Aang's internal conflict. And as this scene progresses, Katara is the one who kind of takes them to the back of the cave. She lights a fire. And all of a sudden, it starts glowing red. Um, And I think it's kind of showing how Katara is the one who lights the fire inside Aang and shows him there is hope. Aww. I like that. Yeah. That's a really great analysis. Um, Yeah, so Katara then tries to comfort Aang and says that fisherman was way out of line. And Aang says, actually, he wasn't. Then Aang is like, I don't want to talk about it. And Katara says, it has to do with your dream, doesn't it? Talk to me. And I think just her knowing that it had to do with her dream just was a moment where I felt like they were so in sync, like she's so attuned to his feelings. Um, And Momo at this point also comes in and nuzzles up to or snuggles up with them appa is there he also cozies up to ang and katara and they all settle in for this story it made me realize that while all this is happening sokka is out there on the ocean and he's not present for all of this and so katara and ang really have a bond that is like so deep and then it made me think like when does sokka even find out about this you know it's like he's gone for this whole story and they have to fill him in later maybe but like this is such an intimate episode for the two of them so then we launch into ang's flashback and he says i'll never forget the day the monks told me i was the avatar so the flashback starts with ang trying to teach all the other airbender kids how to do the air scooter and gyatso interrupts and says ang come with us we need to speak with you So he goes to the other monks and they tell him he's the avatar. And he says, how do you know? How do you know that? Like, we might be wrong. And then he says, "The one of the monks says, we have known you were the avatar for a long time. And he asks if he remembers the set of toys that they lay out in front of him. 
Yeah, so actually that monk, the dower monk who says, we uh, we have known you have been the avatar for a long time. I thought there was something very familiar about this monk. He really resonated with me. Turns out he's actually James Hong, who plays Mr. Ping in Kung Fu Panda. He's the dad um, of Poe. Oh, oh, wow. Who is also You're... the same guy in Mulan, who's the really annoying dude with the whis- with the mustache. Like the Cersei <gasps> oh! Oh man! What? Wow! <laughs> wow! He plays like the icon. <laughs> Wait, is the Dower Monk the one who's like old and strict? Yes. Yeah, he's. Oh, he he plays all like <laughs> <Yeah>. naggy old guys. <laughs> well, actually, no. The dad, uh, the dad, Poe's dad, is very sweet. So I I did a little bit more research into James Hong. He studied civil engineering at the University of Minnesota. But then somewhere along the way, became interested in acting. So then he graduated from the University of South uh, California and practiced for one and a half years as a road engineer. And he took sick leaves and vacation time to do films. And eventually he quit to do acting full time. And now he's the founders of the East West Players, one of the oldest Asian American theaters in L.A. And he is a prolific and now well-recognized Asian American actor of in movies and television and i thought that was really cool that they were able to incorporate him into avatar that's crazy oh yeah Always i feel like pursue the... your dreams kiddos seriously who cares about civil engineering <laughs> no i'm kidding um yeah that's super cool he does have a very very recognizable voice now that i think about it yeah they get cool people to be all these side characters which yep. makes them that much cooler like each side character has so much you can get such a great feel for their personality. Like none of them are one dimensional except for the stupid Zangs and Ganjis. <laughs> <laughs> so then Aang, they say that Aang chose four specific toys among thousands of toys and that those toys are the Avatar relics and belong to Avatar's past. Yeah. So when they show the toys, I think they all have relations to elements. So they show a turtle a small kind of like windmill pinwheel kind of toy, a drum toy, you know, those like little drums that where you like twist it and like the mm-hmm. little balls hit each other side. But mm-hmm. it's also like in a spiral that kind of looks like the sun. And there's a last one, which is an animal. Yeah. So I, I noticed this when I watched, was watching it this time. And I thought, is this a hog monkey? And it turns <laughs> out other people have looked at it. And yes, it is in fact a stuffed animal of a hog monkey. Wow. So you thought... There was only be that one reference to Hog Monkey. There are two this episode. There's also a third episode in a row with some like manifestation of a Hog Monkey, which is really crazy because like you don't like when I first watched this, I had no idea that they threw all these things in. I know. I wonder what drew them to the Hog Monkey so much. Yeah, that's super cute. I I actually think it's a moose lion. And and hear me out. Hear me out. Right. So. The turtle is water. The uh, the little pinwheel obviously is air because, you know, you blow into it. The little drum toy is fire because, you know, sun. Uh, we later learn from the sun people uh, fire. So what, how does hog monkey relate to earthbending? I don't think it really does. But what does relate to earthbending? The moose lion because that's how Aang learns to earthbend. Interesting. That's, that is a good theory. I like it. Uh I'm just uh, looking at some Avatar wiki. They have. They I have think they're wrong. Oh man! I like. I can you I argue like with the Avatar wiki? Go in and edit it, Justin. Yeah, <laughs> and see what they do. I kind of like yours better. Um. Yeah. Another fun fact is that this t- 
test of choosing toys, uh, a certain number of toys among thousands of toys, or many toys, maybe not thousands, is a similar test that they use to uh, choose the next toku llama. So they place a bunch of these objects together and the child must pick them up. And if you recognize the ones from the previous toku llama, then it means that they are the reincarnation. So yeah, this is wow. actually inspired from real life. Um as the show does so well. So then Gyatso says, normally we would have told you of your identity when you turn 16, but there are troubling signs. Storm clouds are gathering. We need you, Aang. <gasps> wow. So this storm metaphor is being just really beaten into the <laughs> ground this episode. I, I do think it's worth mentioning that while avatars normally learn that they're avatar at 16, Korra was so good at being an avatar. She knew she was the Avatar early because she could bend all the elements when she was a baby. All I'm saying. Except, Except for air. For air but, yeah. You know. That just makes me think of Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's like all the yeah. powers as a baby. <laughs> like, I'm, in, I'm actually remembering that scene now of Korra and she's just flying around and doing all this stuff. Like, so crazy. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm the Avatar and there's nothing you yeah. can do about it. <laughs> Yeah, but about the storm metaphor, I was just trying to be a little bit of, uh, you know, like some literary analysis or whatever, close reading, critical reading. And I was thinking, oh, so the storm is kind of a metaphor. So here it's a metaphor for the war. Um, it also represents Aang's t emotional turmoil, finding out he's the Avatar and Zuko's baggage leader but like with a storm you always want to run away from it but you can't find peace until you face it head on which is what they do towards the end of the episode when Aang comes to terms with his past and Zuko is comes ah, Zuko doesn't really reach that place in the arc yet but um they do both find themselves in the eye of the storm and so I was like oh you have to really go through the worst of it as you approach the eye of the storm and then you find yourself some inner peace. So, yeah, I don't no, know. I, I, I like that. I, yeah, I kind of did too. I'm not going to lie. I thought yeah. it was pretty good. I'm usually not good at this stuff. But then I read something online <laughs> that was like, oh, actually, uh, people who are good at, you know, seafaring actually know that you're not supposed to go to the, towards the eye of the storm. You're supposed to go anywhere but there because really the eye of the storm isn't completely peaceful. It's more just less tumultuous. I don't know. I guess this Eye of the Storm idea is just really some artistic license on the part of everybody in history ever because yes. maybe it's not true. <laughs> Anyways, there's your daily dose of uh, Earth science. Melon facts and Earth science. What's <laughs> up on Wednesdays? Yeah, that's what you get from this. <laughs> um, yeah, so then the next scene is back on Zuko's ship and the lieutenant says, I'm he's gossiping with all the other crew members <laughs> and he says, I'm <laughs> sick of taking his orders and I'm tired of chasing his avatar. I mean, who does Zuko think he is? Then Iroh overhears and says, do you really want to know? And then they're like, oh, they're so embarrassed that Iroh heard. Yeah, one thing I'm struck really about in this episode is how much respect that the crew gives Iroh because I think we see a lot of characters in the show look down on Iroh mm -hmm. um kind yeah. of going back to like you know the unassuming like old fat man like he's kind of washed out you know uh Zhao looks down on him the earthbenders look down on him but clearly his crew respects him a lot and I think that shows how deep of a character he really is and at least at this point in the show 
kind of makes you more curious, like what makes this man so great? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always refer totally. to him as esteemed, esteemed, and uh, I mean, you obviously know he was a general, but yeah, it is it is nice that they are so respectful, and it makes you really like the crew members too. Is they're just such good people? They're really just trying to serve whoever they're meant to serve, and they have a lot of respect for Iroh. Um, but then Iroh yeah. sits down with them and tries to explain Zuko's past. So. Then we get into the Zuko flashback and we see little tween Zuko trying to go into the war chamber and he fails. Yeah, baby Zuko here has his ponytail and his face is still very, very moisturized, very smooth. No scars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He could very easily be be a K-pop star. I know. Too bad that option (laughs) went out the window. Um, (laughs) So then Iroh says, Prince Zuko, what's wrong? And then tween Zuko says, I want to go into the war chamber, but the guards won't let me pass. And then Iroh tries to make him feel better by telling him he's not missing anything and that these meetings are really boring. And then Zuko says, he looks, he's smiling. So very rarely do we see Zuko smiling. I guess this is old old Zuko, so it's maybe less surprising. He says, if I'm going to rule the nation one day, don't you think I should start learning as much as I can? And it's really endearing and just very cute. Yeah, no, Zuko is super cute here. He's so innocent, like pre-everything that happens. He's so innocent. He wants to learn as much as he can. He's so idealistic, like I'm going to rule and I need to start learning. I think, I think Iroh... It's just telling him it's boring, but like Iroh just wants to protect him from the dark realities that's going on. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Zuko steps into that room, like something was bound to happen. Man, my thoughts here were like, and I've never had this thought before, like, how much guilt Iroh must feel. Because if you think about it, the guards were not letting Zuko in. The only reason Zuko gets into the war chamber is because Iroh escorts him in. And that's the reason that Zuko gets scarred. Yeah, so then Iroh lets him in and he says, very well, but you must promise not to speak. Those old folks are a bit sensitive, you know? (laughs) Old people, (laughs) negative points for old people. But yeah. They can smell storms approaching, so (laughs) balances out. But actually, this just made me think that, well, first I thought that he does give in to Zuko a lot, as we've seen, that he doesn't really push back. He's really there to chime in and provide his thoughts most of the time. But then if... Zuko continues to want to do what Zuko wants to do. He is pretty hands off. But unfortunately, this one goes horribly. So they go into the war chamber and the general, evil general, recommends sending a division of entirely new recruits to fight the strongest earthbenders. And then someone asks, how do you expect them to defeat the powerful battalion? And the general says, they'll be used as a distraction while we mount an attack from the rear. And then he says, what better to use as bait than fresh meat? Yeah, and then Zuko speaks out and then he says, how could you do that? Uh, the soldiers love our, and love and defend our nation. How could you betray them? And yeah, this is awesome. Like Zuko is so pure and good here. We see him speaking up for what is good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I mean, he's obviously right, um, but there's some bravery here. There's some petulance here. There's just some, I mean, he's he's very like acting childlike, but he, you can tell that he has a, from this comment that he has a really good heart and it's such a turning point in the season and in the whole show where you realize that, Maybe he isn't now, but like innately he was good and he can still have that. And you can see little flashes of that here and there. Yeah, I think on some level it's kind of naive what he says because, you know, 
they are at war. He uh, like he has to be at least somewhat aware of how his country operates. You know, if you're fighting a war to spread your culture, it's a war to take over other countries. But more than that, it's not. I would say incredibly obvious that what they're doing is like evil per se. I think the general's comments are very insensitive. But at the same time, like this tactic might save more objective lives for the Fire Nation. You know, it, it's not like obvious that he's just doing this to kill a bunch of like new recruits. This might be like from a poor, like purely utility perspective, like a way to save more lives. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely like. It's not surprising to me that this is like a oh that this is a war tactic. Um, oh, a lot of the times you do go into battle knowing that pretty much no one's going to make it out. Um, and so I can see how this is really tactical, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that Zuko would have known, like he was really young and, and his, the fact that he was even hearing any soldiers would die, um, and intentionally like without any hope of surviving. I mean, he's like, that's pretty horrific to hear as a kid. And then the next scene is back on the ship. And then Iroh says, Zuko was right, you see, but it was not his place to speak out. And there were dire consequences. This scene from his past kind of ties into what was happening earlier when Zuko was willing to send all of his men into almost certain doom into the storm to pursue a single mission. So maybe like through everything that happened, what he kind of learned as a side effect was, oh, like maybe that old man was right. Like maybe it is okay to send all of your troops, like the people that are loyal to you into certain doom to just for a singular purpose. Oh, that's a really good connection. That yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's just like the ends justify the means and mm. obviously no individual safety matters. It's like the end goal that matters. That's mm-hmm. wow. Very nice, very nice. I like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so then we go back to the Aang flashback and the kids have now mastered the air scooter and they've ma- even made a game out of it and Aang wants to play with them but when Aang starts to get on his air scooter they all hop off of theirs and one of the guys says, you know, now that you're the Avatar it's kind of an unfair advantage for whatever team you're on and this just made me think of Korra because she joins the fire ferrets and no one really complains about that. I mean like one person does but then she's like, I'm just gonna use waterbending and then they're like okay <laughs> and so Aang could just be like I'm gonna just use airbending and not the other elements I don't really know but I mean I it's kind of it's kind of fair but also not I just think this is really mean yeah then Aang says but I'm still the same nothing's changed what so I can't play and the way this is delivered was just so sad um he just was so dejected and I was like, this is so mean. They're, it's just a game. Why is everyone so competitive? Why are these airbender <laughs> yeah. kids so competitive? Why aren't they just going with the flow? It just didn't make any sense. And it was just uh, so clicky and exclusionary. They're just jealous. Then Aang, uh, you know, has no other place to turn. So he goes to Gyatso and they're playing Pai Show. And Aang makes a move and then he kind of looks away and looks really sad. And then Gyatso airbends. He puts his hand behind his back and airbends so that Aang's shirt flies over his face and he switches the tiles, the one that Aang just placed. And then Aang goes, hey, like he knows that Gyatso cheated and they laugh and uh, he cheers up immediately. Yeah, one small detail I noticed was when they were panning over the shot where they were playing Pai Show, clearly frames a lotus tile in the middle and it made me think mm-hmm. like, hey, what if uh, Gyatso was part of the White Lotus? Mm. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, that would be cool. That's a fun theory. Um, but then the old monk, his name is Monk Tashi, walks in. Um, this is the dower monk uh, who we referred to before and said, you're playing games with him. The avatar should be training. And then Gyatso says, Aang has already trained enough for today. And Aang is about to leave with the other monk. And Gyatso says, no, as long as I'm his guardian, I will decide when he trains and when he gets his butt kicked out pie show. It's very cute. And if we think about it, that this is the last time Aang actually interacts with Gyatso before everything goes down. So that just makes a scene especially like touching. Mm-hmm. Another thought I have was, wow, the dower monk had such a bad time here. In uh, When he becomes Mr. Ping, he takes the opposite approach and lets Poe have all the fun he wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he learned his lesson. <laughs> um so then we're back at the Zuko flashback, and Ayo says, after Zuko's outburst in the meeting, the Fire Lord was became very angry with him. So then Ayo explains that, Ozai said that Zuko's challenge of the general was an act of complete disrespect and could only be resolved by Agni Kai. Then Zuko looked at the old general he insulted and said he was not afraid. And then Iroh continues, but Zuko misunderstood. When he turned to face his opponent, he was surprised to see that it was not the general. Zuko had spoken out against the general's plan, but by doing so in the Fire Lord's war room, it was the Fire Lord whom he had disrespected. Zuko would have to duel his own father. And this shot that accompanies this... this um explanation is Zuko like standing with his eyes wide and like in complete fear and this is just such a crazy moment in the show I mean we obviously knew what was going to happen but like can you imagine even hearing this for the first time finding out exactly why Zuko is so insane in the membrane like just so twisted (laughs) and I don't know this kind of just reminds me of some of the what I find to be a little bit more of the negative aspects of some Eastern culture of just like honor and like appearances and like reputation over everything. So we're back at the Aang's flashback and Gyatso says he's discussing Aang's future with the rest of the monks and says Aang needs freedom and fun. He needs to grow up as a normal boy. And Monk Tashi, the old monk, says you cannot protect him from his own destiny. Yeah, and he also says affection is clouding your judgment to Gyatso and I was thinking like actually like he kind of has a point here right because if you think about like what is best for the world in that sense Gyatso like Aang could potentially do more and Gyatso in some way may be holding him back I don't know what do you think like I think there might be some point to be made there I mean Gyatso says all I want is what is best for him right so Gyatso is clearly looking out for Aang's mental health here yeah I think I think it's true like I think Gyatso I love Gyatso because he really cares about Aang so much and he's the person who cares about Aang the most in the world up until when we meet Katara and Sokka Uh, but that obviously means that he cares about Aang as a person more than he cares about Aang as the avatar which is definitely not what's best for the world but also Aang found out early you know and so it's kind of this hard line that they have to tow. I don't know. It's really difficult, yeah. but I, I mean, I think it's true. He's definitely trying to balance like his affection for Aang, but also he does have to step into this responsibility early. So I think it's hard. Yeah. So then the lead monk or the elder monk, monk, his name is Monk Pasong, 
Um, he says, but what we need is what's best for the world. And then he says that Gyatso and Aang must be separated. And he says, the Avatar will be sent away to the Eastern Air Temple to complete his training. And then I read this online, and I thought it was really funny, was somebody on Avatar Wiki said, if they wanted Aang to be separated from distractions and focus on his training, why would the council send him to an all-girls temple? That's not distracting at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, in a previous episode, we talked about, like, where all the female airbenders are and the eastern air temple is a all-female monastery i don't know (laughs) it's kind of funny so then ang overhears um and he's like about to run away but yeah i just thought um going back to the like who is right about how they should be taking care of ang or what ang's future should be something that reminded me again that the avatar's duty primary duty is for the world was avatar kiyoshi's words in the finale where he's consulting all the avatars and kiyoshi says you can't focus on your own principles and what you think is right necessarily like your primary duty is to the world and it was kiyoshi and i just felt like those words were so heavy that's why i remembered them Mm -hmm. um and so that makes me think that this lead monk who's actually pretty reason i feel like he's been kind of He's the one who let Gyatso continue to kind of be Aang's guardian. Um, he, in the end, puts his foot down and says, you know what? The Avatar has to complete his training. I think it was Avatar Yang Shen who says, you, as the Avatar, you have to give up your own spiritual enlightenment for the for your duty to the world. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you might be right. They all said it in some form or the other, some form or another. But yeah, yeah I think you might be right. Um, so yeah, that made me lean towards that side. But yeah, then... I was like, okay, maybe Gyatso is wrong. And then I thought, wait a second, maybe if he hadn't given Aang false hope of being able to be continue to be a normal kid, maybe he wouldn't have run away. Hmm. Is this duty that the Avatar has to the world, is this something that is created by society? Or is this something that's kind of preordained? Because as we learn in Korra, the only preordained responsibility the Avatar has is to connect spirits and humans. Nowhere in that is... Does the Avatar have any responsibility to the world? I think this is just something that like people and the society they live in expect of the Avatar. But I think it's an interesting conversation to have, should the Avatar have this responsibility? Mm. And my answer is no. Just because you're born with these powers doesn't mean you have any responsibility to the world. But if he's the only person that could stop what's happening then is it his responsibility or isn't it in some respect? Like if he's literally the only person that can stop destruction, then is it not your responsibility? I think it should. I think the world should make a a better effort at existing without the avatar. And I think that's like what a lot of Korra is. The mm-hmm. world making that effort. Yeah, I know. That, yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I will say that, you know, Aang wasn't around for 100 years and they were fighting the fight. So it's not like they weren't trying. And I think you're right. I think there are a lot of societal expectations probably on Aang. And you see this with every single person he encounters of where were you? Like you are only hope, which obviously is a little untrue. But like it also is he is this supremely powerful being and he does help turn the tide of the war because of his powers, but also because of the hope that he inspires which again i think kind of maybe even reinforces your point because like they should have hope in something else but yeah i they were trying for a hundred years though and failing 
So after Aang's flashback, they're in the cave and Aang says, he's just so angry. How could they do that to me? They wanted to take away everyone I knew and everyone I loved. And he, and yeah, this is just some real angry Aang. I mean, we, I know we said last episode he was angry about, you know, the stupid feuds of the tribes and that's kind of annoying, but this is real anger. This is, this is the thing that's been gnawing at him since he, found himself in the iceberg um, since he ran away that day. And this is really personal. And he, his arrows light up and he like is about to go into the avatar state. And then there's a short flashback of Aang running away and getting caught in the storm. And we finally connect all the dots of how he ended up in the iceberg. And uh, Katara says, if, if you had stayed to Aang, you would have been killed with everyone else. Yeah. And then Aang says, you don't know that, which is true. (laughs) <laughs> and then Katara says, I know it's meant to be this way. Yeah, okay. So I have a question. Um, maybe this is like the darker side of me talking, but for the world, would it have been a net benefit for Aang to maybe have, like, wh- wouldn't it be- have been better for the world if he had stayed in the air uh, temple and then unfortunately perished along with everyone else and then a new waterbender would have been created and become a mature adult far before ang was unfrozen out of his block of ice or if he was ever unfrozen out of the block of ice well we don't know that the fire nation wouldn't have then just attacked the water tribes right because they're they're already making their attempt on the southern water tribe and it would take at least another like 20 years for this individual to grow up and they would have to do the search for the Avatar mean, like while this world war is going on. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Back to Zuko's flashback. So Zuko is about to get wrecked by his own father. And it's very sad. And so he's on his knees. He's begging for mercy. He says, I only had the Fire Nation's best interest at heart. I'm sorry I spoke out of turn. And Ozai says, you will fight for your honor. And then he asks him to rise and fight. And Zuko says he won't fight him. And then Ozai says, you will learn respect and suffering will be your teacher. And then Zuko is crying and and he looks up and like tears are streaming down his face. And he looks so scared. And it's just very, very, very horrifying. Yeah. So um, speaking of great voice actors, the voice actor for Ozai is actually Mark Hamill. So, he, so here we see Luke Skywalker join the dark side. And he also voices the Joker. So like he voices the most villainous of villains. Yeah. Or when we hear Zuko getting burnt off screen, we do see the reactions of four other people. Um, we see, I think, I believe it's the general that um, Iroh, or sorry, it's the general that Zuko spoke out against. Um, then we see Zhao, who's smiling which kind of fits his character. We see Iroh, who can't even look because he's so sad and maybe guilty about maybe what he caused. And we also see a little Azula, who's also smiling. So what I liked about this is like, you know, it's the first season, but it seems like they may have planned out a lot more. Like they actually have Azula included in the scene. And, and even them getting Mark Hamill, they really planned a lot for what the show is going to become in the future. I completely agree. I think you said it so well. Like, I love this Easter egg of Zula. I cannot even believe that, like, they put this in. And I mean, you know, I can't believe it because they're great storytellers. But just the fact that all of this comes together so well, even like 
it made me think of what you're saying made me think of like when Io redirects lightning, how that is such mm-hmm. a crucial aspect of the entire show until the very end. Um, yeah, it's just like super cool. I love like how everything ties together. I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Nickelodeon had ordered one season of Avatar, but Brian and Mike knew that it was going to be a three arc show. A three season show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like the fact that they actually, yeah, may have set it up so long term. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, if they had been canceled, Azula could have just been some evil girl. Like, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. They knew it was going to be a hit. Anyways, then present day on the ship, Lieutenant Guy says, I always thought Zuko was in a training accident. Iroh is a gossip. Like, who told him that he could tell all these crew? Like, Zuko did not give him permission to tell all these crew members the intimate details of his past. Um, So I thought that was kind of funny. I just like, I mean, I think it's in the end, it's good because they come to respect Zuko a lot more. But like, Iroh, why are you betraying? I'm sure he's ashamed. Why are you doing Zuko dirty like that? Anyways, then Iris. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, sorry. No, I guess to that point, like, yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely out of line for Iris to <laughs> tell them Zuko's intimate past. There was a gossip session he wanted in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Iris is such a, such a gossip. But I, I think he realized it probably threatened the crew's safety because they were getting to these clashes and things were about to go very south very quickly. So maybe he took the liberty of, yeah. of, of divulging some details. To save the crew. Then, yeah, Iris says, After the duel, the Fire Lord said that by refusing to fight, Zuko had shown shameful weakness. As punishment, he was banished and sent to capture the Avatar. Only then could he return with his honor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to jump in real quick right here. Yeah, not only does he just banish the prince, he banishes him and sends him on a mission to find the Avatar. And putting this in perspective, no one knew where the Avatar was. Like, we now know that Zuko finds the Avatar, but back then, no one knew who the Avatar was. Basically, it was sending Zuko on a wild goose chase because no one, like, the highest ranking officials had no idea where the Avatar was. Like, no one did, right? He sent him on this impossible-to-succeed mission, and that was what the only thing that would restore his honor. So then the next scene is Zuko in his chamber and he's recalling all these childhood memories of him on Ember Island, which um, he has such fond memories of Ember Island as I do of the Ember Island players. Uh, But (laughs) fun fact about this um, montage is that the sepia images were actually painted by Brian Konitsko and another animator named Brian Evans. Hand drawn. They're pretty good, too. Yeah, I think this is another great transition scene in this episode. It fades from Zuko's face pre-scar to Zuko's face scarred now. And I think it really shows the emotional toll that is taken on him. Because, damn, Zuko's aged. He looks pretty old. Oh, He looks a little... Yeah. yeah. You see the bags. Someone... I know. Someone needs to get this man's uh, skincare routine or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he has the wrinkles, the candlelight makes it look a lot worse. Yeah. Um, he's been through so much. Anyways, then the next scene is back in the cave and the lightning strikes outside at the same time as lightning struck uh, in the immediate previous scene. It's the transition between Zuko um, 
scene, Zuko's scene and this scene, which is another, it's kind of like the geese. It's a nice continuity. And then the woman screams and says her husband isn't safe. And uh, Katara says, where's Sokka? And she says Sokka and her husband haven't returned and that the storm is becoming a typhoon. And Aang says, I'm going to find them. And Katara says, I'm going with you. And the woman says, I'm staying here. <laughs> and uh, I just love this old couple so much. They're just like ridiculous. Um, yeah. And then Aang says, we'll be back soon, I promise. And the weight of him making this promise was so, uh, it just was really like, momentous for him like he had just come to terms with his past and the fact that he's promising he'll come back as he's going into the storm which is something he didn't do before like I just I feel like I never noticed this comment but the way he said like the way it's even voiced is like it's so meaningful um and he really is like there's a lot of conviction behind it so then back on Zuko's ship, there are waves crashing over the side of the ship and there's this helmsman hanging from the top of the ship where the lightning struck. And then Zuko says, or Zuko starts climbing up and he's going to, he's intending to save him. And then the lieutenant also goes to help actually, which is kind of nice. This is the point in the show where I think Zuko's character development really begins and is a model for how his character development will continue to grow. Because for him, it's about these series of inflection points, these series of decisions where he chooses. He chooses between what his principles are versus what his father wants him to be. Mm -hmm. And we see this conflict in him where, you know, the reason he gets kicked out of the Fire Lord's Chamber is because he wants to help the people of the Fire Nation. But... You know, as Anand said earlier, he becomes jaded and starts to believe, you know, I have to sacrifice the people on the ship in order to achieve, you know, finding the Avatar. Which, you know, if they do kill the Avatar, the Fire Nation wins the war. And here we see him make a conscious decision to save his crew. And I think it's the beginning of a series of decisions where he's reclaiming his personhood. He's reclaiming the principles he has. Um, and the more and more he makes these decisions, the more and more it reinforces who he is. And that is Zuko's character development. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. And so meanwhile on the ship, Iroh's just hanging out and we see a lightning bolt come down and Iroh actually redirects it. So this is the first time we see lightning bending and it's just super cool. Like, it's so epic. He, like, absorbs the whole lightning bolt and just spits it out into the water. Yeah. It's just awesome. And, you know, if if I can put on my, like, literary close reading, <laughs> close reader cap on, like, lightning was such a big thing throughout this episode, right? I think it, in Aang's dream and, and during the storm, it represents, like, the scariest things, basically, mm -hmm. right? And so Iroh's, Iroh is taking that in and redirecting it out kind of shows that like that is something that can be first of all um like conquered and it can it, you can kind of like use it in some way and redirect it for some mm. some beneficial purpose so wow yeah, cool. i like it um yeah yeah i just think this is super awesome too i think it's funny actually it's also it's like an epic moment but then he gets fried and his hair gets really yeah, spiky yeah. and yeah yeah, it's the first time that we see lightning bending or redirecting lightning do that to someone. So they clearly wanted to make Iroh still this like gag um, in this episode. Um, 
And then, yeah, Zuko sees the Avatar flying above. And the lieutenant says, what do you want to do, sir? Um, which is kind of also momentous because there's this newfound understanding uh, between them. And Zuko says, let him go. We need to get the ship to safety. So I felt like this was just kind of convenient. Like, he's con- he's good when it's convenient to be good. And sometimes I feel that. And, like, I think I think... This is just one of those moments. Like, I definitely think there are genuine moments. Like, when, for example, like, the last time that we saw Zuko forsake going after Aang was when Iroh was captured. And that totally makes sense. He's, like, going to save his uncle. But in this case, they're already in a storm. I don't know. And, like, Aang's probably moving away from the storm, too. So why not follow? You know, it just felt kind of convenient. Like, oh, we just saw Zuko's past. So let's continue to make him this sympathetic character. Um, in this one situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll let Justin answer because I don't have a good answer. But yeah, in this episode, like it does feel like Aang actually kind of confronts his past and, you know, interacts with Katara and the old couple and like makes progress because he's actually confronting with it and interacting with people now. But Zuko doesn't really do that, which is a good point. So I wonder if Justin, maybe you have any insight. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's probably too early to say and we, I mean, yeah. we do see later on he betrays Katara. Yeah, but sad. again, I, I do think time. it's like a series of decisions. I mean, even in real life, there's no like moment where you become a different person. You slowly become that person, right? By making mm-hmm. those choices. Like, I think when Zuko goes to save the helmsman, like that is like, you know, good Zuko coming out mm-hmm. and shining through. But this like, let's not go for the avatar. We need to get the ship to safety. I don't know. I guess that's an extension of that. Whatever. I'm reading into this. But basically, I think it's a little bit too easy right at this moment. I think it's important to recognize, though, that he does apologize to his uncle. Mm-hmm. That's huge. He really has definitely hasn't done that yet, I don't think. Yeah. And then the next scene is Aang and Katara. Um, and they're going to save Sokka and the fisherman. And Sokka says, and there are Sokka and the fisherman on the boat. And he says, I'm too young to die. And the man says, I'm not, but I still don't want to. <laughs> um, which is just like the man's best line for sure. Or, or maybe his sarcastic line about the 100 years of war. That was pretty good too. But then Aang gets on the ship and he water bends this pole and splits it in half and it just falls on either side of Sokka and the man. And then he flings the two of them onto Appa's ba- back with this rope. And once they land on Appa, they look at each other so affectionately. They're like huddled in close together and they, they start blushing because they're now bonded for life, I think. They just had a near-death experience and they just look so happy and giddy when they land on Appa. It's like really cute. Yeah. So then um, basically there's this giant wave and then the giant wave consumes everyone and they all go crashing to the water. And then we see another replay of Aang's event where he loses grasp of Appa's um, like saddle thing. And you think, oh, this is another moment where he may... Uh, revert back to his avatar state and freeze himself or run away basically right but he doesn't um and he basically saves everyone and everyone's happy but like you got to think like what what changed between ang's past and what's going on right now right so i mean i think we saw this in the first couple episodes too where ang had a similar moment like when he when he's first on zuko's ship and then falls off and then he has one of these moments again and then back then I theorized that, oh, it's because he hears Katara's voice and he actually has something to live for. And I think it's something similar now. Like what changed? 
Back then, he had no one. He was about to lose everything. He had no hope, right? But now he has Katara, who just inspired him. He has all these people that he has to live for. Um, and I, like, so I think the difference is that like Aang is the one that has hope now. And Aang, like, Aang inspires other people, but Aang didn't have that. He was in such despair, right? But now he has that and he has something to live for and fight for. And I think that's, yeah, hope is so powerful, even for the Avatar. I agree. I think I would qualify it by saying, I think it's more that he finds his own agency. Whereas previously, I think he felt cornered, like things were happening to him. He had no say, you know, the monks were making decisions for him. And now he's kind of like literally taking life by the reins. He like grabs Appa's reins and he's like, all right, we're getting out of here. Um, And it it affirms like the person he wants to be in the central conflict that the world wants him to kill Ozai. But he wants to make his own decision and that character development and the fight he has internally. And I think this is where it all starts. Yeah. Uh, Aang's grown so much. So yeah, and then and then everyone gets reunited and it's very happy and uh, the man actually apologizes to Aang and said, you know what, like, you're here now and if you weren't, then I wouldn't be here either. So there you go. Here's to the future and moving on mm-hmm. and what seeing what Aang can do for the world. So with that, let's get to our ratings. Yeah, this was, this was a good episode. I'm going to give it an eight. I mean, first of all, this was actually an episode I hadn't seen for a long time. And I think I mentioned this in episode zero, but I had like no idea what the backstory on Zuko's scar was for a really long time. And I tried piecing it together, but it doesn't really work until unless you watch this episode. Um, so, yeah, I have a fond memory of watching this episode because everything started to make sense. I mean, I think that the parallel structure they achieved between Aang and Zuko is really cool. Uh, and I think, yeah, all of the transitions back and forth, like all of the character development and all of the attention to detail that they gave this episode. This episode really felt like a mature Avatar episode that a lot of the previous ones did not feel like. And all of the, you know, like Azula being there and everything. Yeah, I I, I, I really enjoyed the episode. I guess a couple things that, I, like, those are just personal comments that, like, doesn't what doesn't make it a 9 or 10? I guess, like, it is mostly in the past. I do like the episodes that are in the present and... And, you know, fights are going on, like main antagonists, main villains. It was kind of light on the combat and it was more plot device, although really well done. It was more plot. And yeah, I guess the thing at the end that Joyce was saying about Zuko kind of conveniently letting like letting Avatar go doesn't totally make sense to me. But yeah, great episode. I'll give it an eight. I give this a nine. I think somewhere in the wikiest is either from Mike O'Brien. It's one of their top three episodes. I I don't think any of the reasons Anand brings up are... An, are bad reasons or reasons for it not to be a nine or a 10. Yeah. It's just like a great episode it has everything you want to see in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. So actually I'm pretty much aligned with everything on and said, but for me, I think the things he mentioned like detracted from it a little bit more. And I will say, I think I'm rating it more from like a rewatch standpoint, which I don't really know what we're using to rate these episodes, but whatever, this is what I'm using. So it's like, because you already know the crazy plot, twists and plot points and the backstory if you've already seen the show I think from a rewatch standpoint because it's missing some of that action and like drama of the of like the I don't know the action and the drama like it's a little bit 
less like it's not like my first go-to to rewatch but obviously it's long-awaited backstory I was trying to think like whose past is juicier and then I was like okay definitely Zuko's um and <laughs> yeah it's like another great realization is that Aang, you realize that Aang isn't perfect as Avatar he's really messed up in the past and also that Zuko isn't totally evil um and he is actually really mm-hmm. good uh, it's pretty funny. I think the new, I think my new favorite side characters are this old couple. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think the one downside for me was that it was just all exposition. Obviously really important, but you know, not as fun to rewatch. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of the storm. As always, we release on WhatsApp on Wednesday. So we'll see you then for our discussion of the blue spirit. If you want to stay up to date with when we release or submit thoughts or questions on any of the episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at at what's underscore oppa, like our Facebook page, or you can email us at whatsoppapod at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to uh, hit this episode or our podcast with a five-star rating if you like what you heard. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! 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 Bye!